Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. Well, hey, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to, to John chapter 14. Uh, I'll uh, get into kind of the, uh, the meat of this thing in just a minute. We'll kickstart this year uh, together. But have you ever thought about the fact that there's like this cadence to creation? I mean, think about it for just a second. I, I mean, this, it's kind of like our, the ebb and flow of our day. Uh, and, and sometimes the, the obvious can uh, be missed by us because it is so obvious. We've become so accustomed and so used to things. But, you know, it, it's interesting, isn't it, that God wove into our creation 24 hours and a sunrise and a sunset. Um, I, don't, I don't know there's something significant about that. The fact that, uh, you know, Scripture tells us that His mercies are new every morning. You know, Scripture tells us that uh, we're supposed to number our days or teach us to number our days uh, rightly that we can gain a heart of truth. Uh, uh, and so Scripture, um, when we look at it, it actually is lived out inside that cadence of creation. And one of those cadences is not just a 24-hour period, but it's 365 days. Uh, it's, a, it's a year. Um, and over the last couple of years, I mean, we have felt the weight. I mean, I, I don't know that 2020 and 2020 one will go down in history as the best uh, years, uh, you know, kind of just from a society perspective. It might have been a great year for you. It's been very difficult, right? I mean, like the last couple of years, there's just been a lot of things I think that maybe uh, I've noticed for myself that we faced. I think as a church, we face different things. Uh, I think, it, you know, it, it's not short-sighted or uh, anything like that to say that uh, the world itself has gone through some things that uh, we haven't seen before, which is interesting for as long as we've been around. Uh, but there's this cadence to, cre- uh, to, to creation, there's a beginning and there's an end. And it's funny because the, the, the cynical part of me uh, oftentimes wants to say, well, there's no difference between January 1, 2022 and December 31st, 2021. And maybe that's where you are. You're the one, you're kind of like the Scrooge of New Year. You know, you're like, bah humbug to New Year uh, because you're like, it's just, a, it's just a turn of the page. And now it's not even a turn of the page. It's just like whatever comes up on your phone, that's what it is. You know, you don't even have to fall back or spring forward anymore. Uh, it just does it all for you. And you just kind of get into the routine of things. But there's something that I think we all intuitively feel because of the cadence that God has worked into creation, and that's a sense of expectation. Um, I think with a new day, you know, when the sun comes up, I mean, some of the most potent times spiritually, um, you see Jesus do this, get up early in the morning, spend time with his father. Uh, maybe you've gotten, some of you, you've gotten up or you get up early and you see the sunrise. Others of you, you're more sunset people, you know, uh, you're, you're more watching that sunset, but the, the, the sky looks different at sunrise and sunset. Uh, and I think the reason for that is it's a mixture of light and darkness, isn't it? It's where light and darkness meet. And it's the cadence of creation. And so we get into a new year, right? And I think the natural thing, and this is not a spiritual thing per se, it's just a human thing uh, that I would suggest is spiritual because I think everything is. But I think everybody in the world picks up on this. I mean, people gather around to watch a ball drop you know, or uh, see the clips of it, the pictures of it the next morning when you get up if you didn't stay up that late like us. Um, there's just this feeling like, okay, I should be expecting something. And 
people market this to you. They market to us. It's the time to get the gym membership or, uh, you know, it's the time to start a new habit. It's the time to start a new routine. And because it creates for us this cadence, there's this expectation that is just woven in to creation itself. And I think it would be good not to become so cynical that we deny that because I think God gave us that. And I think he gave us that because he knows that we need it. We get tired, you know, uh, on the daily basis, we get tired. But on the yearly basis, we get tired too. We go through seasons, we go through ebbs and flows. And oftentimes it takes a kind of a conjuring of our minds and our hearts to go back to that cadence and say, God, let your mercies be new this morning. Let your mercies be new this year. And the reason I share this, it might be a little bit of a long introduction, but I want to set the stage, I think, for the year for us, because I, I, I think for me, I need the sun to come up in some ways. You know, maybe you're with me. Uh, I think as a church, we need the sun to come up in some ways. I, I think we need to experience that tension of the light and the dark hitting each other. But the good news is, guess who always wins? The light always wins. The light always dispels the darkness. And uh, I was looking through uh, Facebook. I, I don't get on Facebook very much other than Marketplace. I'm a little addicted to that for some reason. Uh, I, I like finding stuff on there uh, and offering people half as much as what they want for it. Um, and surprisingly, some people just want to get rid of their junk, you know, so it works out sometimes. Um, but I was on it uh, two days ago, uh, and it... it, it pops up memories now, like they, they've learned how to get you and suck you in in so many ways. And I, I started looking at it, you know, and uh, it, it scrolled through memories year after year from Facebook. And I didn't realize that my, my life had been tracked so well, but some of you know this, right? They, they know more about me than I know about me. And, uh, you know, a couple of things popped up. One was six years ago when we, uh, as a family, a picture of us going to pick up our dog Wrigley. You know, and it was the day commemorating. We took a picture and commemorated it. Remember, and, and thanks to Facebook, I, we, it ended an argument. Is Wrigley five years old or six years old? You know, uh, we were able to answer the question, but Facebook answered the question for us. And then I, I scrolled a little farther and I went back to 2010. And in 2010, on that same day, two days ago, uh, Veronica and I were with 67 college students in Atlanta, Georgia at the Passion Conference. And it was a week away from us launching what was Journey Campus, which became what we are here today. And we came back from that, I can remember, and we had those 67 college students that were on the trip, and then we came back, met up with about 200 more college students, and then uh, many of you were there, and many of you, you don't even know what I'm talking about, but now you're a part of that whole thing. And, and it was good to remember. And I can remember like just the simple things with Wrigley, just the fun that that was and the expectation. Um, of him and now he's annoying sometimes, you know, so the expectation is met with reality. And I can think about the, uh, the time uh, with those 67 college students, quite honestly. And I, I was able just to kind of sh shortly relive some of the expectation that we all had in that moment. But 12 years has passed. And much like, uh, if you pardon me just for the analogy, but much less like it was with, with Wrigley, Sometimes there's messes to be cleaned up after the expectation wanes. And there's difficulty, but it's part of the cadence of creation. But his mercies are new every morning. 
And there's one constant, right? There's one constant in this, and this is the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so while the, the season's weighing on and there's more gray hair on my head than there was and less hair to have gray hair than there were 10 years ago, the reality is that God has not changed. And his call for us is still the same. It remains the same. He calls us to abide in him. And so today, with the sense of expectation that we all have, I wanna, I wanna just kind of set the stage for the year a little bit and talk a little bit about not expecting just something better this year, but expecting something greater. And so we're gonna call this greater things. We're gonna be in John chapter 14, but I wanna set the stage enough in the story. So I'm gonna read a couple of verses leading up to it because one thing, if you're new to the way that we handle um, God's word here is we know that it is crucial for us to understand the context of a setting in order to properly understand, interpret, and apply God's word. Uh, we can't just cherry pick things out of there and just make them mean what we want them to mean. And I think as, as we talk about abiding, uh, as we look at John's writings, the Apostle John, he wrote a, a gospel, which is a biography of Jesus. He wrote some letters, three letters to churches that we have in Scripture. And then he has what's called the Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. The same writer wrote all those, most scholars believe. And, um, and so we're going to be looking at those over the course of the year. Uh, but today we're going to look at a specific section um, oh, and we're going to do this over the next five weeks. It's called the Farewell Discourse. And the Farewell Discourse begins in John chapter 13 with these words. John chapter 13, verse 1. Let me read this to you. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. Think about that for a second. The time for Jesus to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This farewell discourse is called that because Jesus is getting ready to leave. And just to get into the scene for a second, um, I mean, it's Passover time. Uh, Jerusalem is full, as we know. Throngs of people everywhere. It's one of the biggest festivals um, of, of the year for them. And they would come together. They would gather together. They would remember the, the significance that God had come to deliver his people out of captivity. And they had, mem they, had, they had lived this cadence year after year, decade after decade, century after century. But there was something special about John chapter 13 and when this statement was made by the apostle John is there was a, there was a palatable expectation this Passover for the people that we're about to talk about. Uh, all those days, all those years, all those decades, all those centuries built up to this climax for them. Because when they saw Jesus, they, they remembered not only the past delivery out of captivity, but they looked forward to their own deliverance, primarily from Rome, that they were under the oppression of, the thumb of, the heel of. And they were, they were looking for God to send a redeemer, someone to take them out of captivity. And they had hung their hopes on Jesus. And so much like some of us, we go into this year, we got a lot of expectations. Some of us are a little bit more cynical and realistic, pragmatic. And we're like, ah, we got to kind of hedge our best. We got to couch our expectations a little bit uh, with some reality um, because it's better to not be disappointed. Some of us have just learned to not be disappointed. But you could not have been with Jesus and not had expectations. 
There was no room for being with Jesus and not think, man, there is something special about him. And, and, and maybe you thought he was just a revolutionary leader, a political leader. Maybe you thought he was a great teacher. Uh, there might have been a lot of things that you would kind of identify with the hopes and expectations. But everybody close to Jesus was hanging their hopes on Jesus. But he's about to leave. And they don't know this yet, but he's about to convey all this, all this information to them. He's about to drop a bomb on them. And he's about to say, with all your expectations about the future, I'm, I, I'm gonna let you in on a little something because you're, you're not just my followers, my, you're my friends. And I want you to know what's about to happen. And he begins to talk about going away to them, for them and how he's gonna go prepare a place for them. But just like anybody that loves anybody before they go away, he's got messages for them. So the words of the farewell discourse that we're gonna look at um, starting today and then going through the next five weeks I, I would say like every, everything in scriptures, God breathed, okay? I would say that. But I don't know, I just feel a sense like because it's human to sense this, that the last few words of Jesus are just really weighty, you know what I mean? Like they mean something, they all mean something, but I don't know, maybe it's just me, but when I look at these words, I'm like, man, God, you, you, there's something in here. And then if you couple that with the fact that the apostle John could have written anything, and he said that there was a lot of things, he says this later in John 21, he says, there's a lot of things that God did or Jesus did that were not written that I didn't write down. This is what I chose to write down. That means this is important. And I think it's important for us, just like them, as they were about to embark on a new season, I think it's important for us to hear the word of the Lord and say, God, what would you have to say to us about the next season? And so if you jump into the passage, um, just to give the, a little bit more context and feel to it, I'm, I'm going to read just a bit, and then we're going to hang out in verses 11 and 12 today, just to make um, kind of the day wrapped around that theme of greater things. But I want to drop down into chapter 14, and I think I've got it up to verse, uh, I want to say verse 5, 14 verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. He just told them, I am, I'm, I'm getting out of here. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which is interesting. There's obviously a sermon in here, or 10, <laughs> in and of itself. But uh, just kind of focus on that, the way the question and the answer happened. Okay, the question and the response. Um, Thomas, who gets a bad rap in Scripture, I kind of like him because at least he asked the questions that nobody else is willing to ask. Um, that everybody else wants to ask, and he's brave enough to do it. Lord, we don't, we don't know where you're going. You're talking about leaving. We don't know where you're going. And he's asking a where question. But Jesus doesn't answer a where question. He answers a who question, doesn't he? He actually mentions three who's. He mentions the Father, he mentions himself, and he mentions the others, which I would put all of you and me in the others, Okay. And in what Jesus wants to do, I think, is pivot in this moment because I think where we're concerned, even in this question, and maybe you're here today with this new year, is you're thinking about details. You're thinking about calendars. I know we do that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Please do that. Please plan, okay? Please show up to your appointments on time. Please make plans ahead, <laughs> all those things. There's nothing wrong with that. We gotta do that to live and to capture the moments of our days. But oftentimes we come to God, don't we? And like, we want to know the details. If I just know the details, if I know how this is going to turn out, then I'll be fine. I want to know the facts. And Jesus pivots from a where question to a who question. 
Because what Jesus is primarily concerned about, it seems, is not the details of what's about to happen. I mean, think about what he could have told them. He could have mapped out every moment of the next few days. Now, they couldn't have digested all of it, but he could have done it. He could have had a a weekend seminar on that, you know? He could have written it all down for them and said, here's what to expect. But here's what I think Jesus is starting to say to them, is that you don't know it yet, but the facts are not as important as you think. The details of tomorrow are not as important as you feel like they are. Not that they're not important. They're just not as important as some other things. And what's primarily important is my father, me, and you. And he's about to wrap this whole farewell discourse almost like a, the, the, uh, the tip of the spear, you know? And it's kind of in the middle of this story that John tells. And the whole story is about what it means to abide in the presence of Jesus. And I think he's, he's bringing this back up at this moment because they haven't caught on to that yet. They're still consumed with the details about tomorrow. And he wants to pivot. And maybe to introduce to you that maybe the most important thing that could happen to you on January 2nd, 2022, for you and me, is to pivot from the details, to not ask the where questions as much, but to ask the who questions. God, where are you? Jesus, where are you? Where am I? And to refocus our attention on a relationship with Jesus and the presence of Jesus and go into the future with all the details with someone. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. The irony is, is that he's talking about, he's gonna talk to them about staying with them while he's leaving. Jesus is confusing, right? Uh, Can we just say that? Jesus is confusing sometimes. He's talking about remaining, abiding, connecting as he's getting ready to leave them. Talk about a hard message to swallow. Well, watch how this whole thing plays out. And then we'll zero in on verses 11 and 12. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. That's details, right? Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, Remember that word authority and tuck that away for a little bit. Rather, it is the father living in me who is doing the work. He goes on to say this. Believe me when I say that I am in the father and the father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. We're going to spend a whole Sunday just talking about that relationship of one with the father. So just kind of put a pin in that. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Okay, this is where we're gonna hang out because talk about confusing and you talk about uh, a lot of people having a lot of different uh, 
uh, ideas of this. And to be honest with you, I put this down to talk about, and then I've just been meditating on this all this week. And I was like, how am I going to explain this? How am I going to explain this? And it was like the spirit, quite honestly, I was driving and uh, it's like the spirit just kind of the light bulb moment. I don't know if there's a ramp. It's like, oh, this is, this is what you're, you want me to say. Okay. It was like the spirit just said, this is what I want you to say. Right. And he wants to make the distinction, I think, because this word greater is a uh, specific word. Um, and oftentimes when we move from words in like an original language like Greek or Aramaic to English, I mean, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of interpretive work to be done, right? There's a lot of things that could go into that. And this is not a Greek lesson or anything like that, but it's important for us to under, understand that when we, under, when we see greater things, we, we have to know that we carry to that a lot of expectations, a lot of expectations. And so there's two things that we have to do when we look at it. The first thing is we have to use the right comparison, right? We have to use the right comparison. And then the second thing we have to do is we're going to have to use the right definition because how we define words, go ahead and put up that second point up there. We have to use the right definition because greater things to you, you might already be dreaming up what that is. And if you're a thinking person, you're like, greater than Jesus? You're already asking that question. You're like, whoa, I don't know. I don't know about that. But it's a comparison and it's a specific word. And so let's talk about that for a second. Because if we're talking about entering into this next season and we're wanting to expect greater things, if, if Jesus is actually saying that uh, if you believe in me, and you remain in me, you will experience greater things. As a matter of fact, you're gonna do greater things than I've done. And most of you live pretty normal lives, like me. Yeah, I mean, you get up, you go to bed, you pay your bills, you mow your yard, you clean your house, and clean it again, and clean it again, and clean it again, and it never ends, you know? Like, th this, is, this is what it is. And you're like, greater things, really? Greater things, really? And some of you are in your 30s, and the greater things you thought you were gonna experience in your 30s, now you've kind of said, okay, well, let's just kind of redraw this whole thing. And, and you're changing the course. Some of you in your 40s, you're doing that. You know, this is just the human experience, right? But we've gotta use the right comparison because greater can mean a lot of things. And we've got to understand that we all live at least want what we would call good enough, okay? Maybe you don't want greater things. Maybe you want what I'd say is good enough. Good enough is baseline, okay? I, I, I don't need a lot of dynamics. I need consistency. Uh, baseline often turns into mediocre, like I was talking about, you know, like it's just kind of like, ah, I used to describe myself. People say like, uh, you know, what are you? Some people say like a jack of all trades, you know, master of none, that kind of thing. Or I would say I'm painfully average. That's what I would say. And painfully was a really good word to describe that because it was painful to be average. I wanted to be great, you know? Um, and, and as I've gotten older, I've become more inclined to under, to embrace the, the, the weakness that I have, even though it's a struggle at times. But, uh, you know, I think there is something specifically in our culture that stiff arms mediocrity. We all want to excel, right? But a good enough life, I mean, honestly, if you could just say I could go through life and not experience significant upheaval in my life, I would be satisfied. So what does that turn into? It turns into survival. I mean, it's all about safety. It's all about caution. It's all about just taking care of things. Why? Because the, the optimal thing, and this happens in churches all the time, like it does in every other area, 
is that we become committed to the status quo. We think, man, just don't, don't rock the boat. Like, don't make this too hard. Life is too hard. We just need something consistent. And so church becomes for us a place where it's just got to be good enough, right? We just want someone to kind of keep things stable. But Jesus alludes to something that for things to be truly great, they can never truly be status quo. For things to be great, it's always going to cause us. It's always going to push us. It's always going to tear. Can I use that word? It's going to tear at us. I mean, it's the imagery of sanctification that Paul uses later. He talks about taking off the old man and putting on the new man, taking off the old flesh and putting on the new flesh. I mean, that is spiritual dismemberment. That is painful. That is painful. And this goes against all of our inclinations for good enough, doesn't it? And so what do we do? We, we say, okay, well, I'm willing, I'm willing to use a comparison. I, I, okay, I don't want good enough, but what we usually defer to is simply something better, okay? And better's not bad. Better's good. It's a little bit gooder than good enough, right? Uh, that's what better is. It's a comparison word. But if you look up better just in the Webster's Dictionary, you can do it on your phone right now. That's where I got it. Uh, this list, this is not original to me. This is from Mr. Webster himself. He says that when you talk about better, this is what it is. It's, it means something of higher quality. You want something of higher quality in 2022? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you're already thinking about a new car, thinking about a new house. You're thinking, well, maybe I can trade this, get that. You know, new clothes, whatever. More skillful. Yeah, I want to become more skillful. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Get more skillful. This is what Webster said, more attractive. <laughs> good luck, you know. Uh, depending on how much money you got, <laughs> you know. Uh, when you get up and you look at yourself in the mirror, this, this is what you're dealing with, you know. This is what you got. Uh, do what you can with what you got. I, I get it. But we want to be more appealing. Some of us are like, okay, well, that ship has sailed. I know what I can do. I can be more effective, <laughs> right? Let's just be more effective. Let's get things done more efficiently. This is where I default to, quite honestly. I just want to be effective. So let's get it done. Let's get a plan. Let's just, you know, kind of just do our thing. Why? Because ultimately better just means, at the end of the day, more useful. I think that word's up there, too. It might not fit on the screen. More useful. And that's what Webster says. And that's what most of us think about with a new year, isn't it? That's what we think about. And none of that is bad. Guess what? As a church, we need to get better at some things. There's some things right now that we're not very good at, and we need to get better. There's some things as a husband I need to get better at, as a father, as a friend, as a pastor. There's always things to get better. But there's a problem with better. And let me just tell you what the problem is. The problem is, is that better is a subjective comparison. It's subjective. There is no objective way to tell consistently year after year if you're better consistently. Because here's the thing, if you are devoted simply to better, here's what will end up happening. It will lead to inevitable frustration. Because here's what I've noticed, is the better I get at something, the more I notice how much I'm not good at something else. I can't get better fast enough. I can't get there quick enough. I, I, I'm confronted, aren't you, 
with the fact, I mean, if, if you're not just a jerk, okay, <laughs> if you're not just arrogant and totally proud, then you, you realize, you realize the more you live life, you don't have this thing figured out. But we always end a year, we always look for things and we all expect better. And there's nothing wrong with it, but you just have to know what comes with the past is it's subjective at best and it's inevitable and it's leading us to frustration. So remember what Jesus said. Just let me throw it back up here on the screen for you real quick. He says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Right? So what's our definition? Well, the world will give you a lot of definitions of what greater is, right? A lot of definitions. Well, what does Jesus think great, is great? Well, fortunately, we know because he told us. He actually told the same group of people that were, he was, that were in this circle. Matthew records it. Um, uh, Mark records it as well. He says this. Mark records it in chapter 10. Matthew records it in chapter 20. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's the thing. If Jesus says you're going to do greater things, you better understand how he defines greatness. A lot of people will tell you, uh, you know, that this passage can be applied to whatever you dream up. I mean, but that's not the way that Jesus defines greatness. He confronts in us the natural inclination of our own definitions, and he says, it's not what you think. Greatness is not what you naturally desire. And think about when he says that in John chapter 13 and 14, Farewell Discourse, where's he going? He's going to do the very thing that he instructs them that is great. And he's actually doing it. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to suffer the blows. He's going to take upon him as Isaiah 53 says, the iniquity of us all. Could there be anything greater than God of all creation that exists in ever-present light, making himself like you and me? We just celebrated Christmas, right? That's what that's about, that he actually became one of us. But as Paul said, that he didn't just become one of us, he became obedient to death. And not just any death, he came, became obedient to death on a cross and he said, because of that, guess what? That's where the greatness comes from. And so Jesus reorients our fallen understanding of what great is. But the problem is that there's a lot of Christian people that are still operating with the wrong definition of greatness, and it causes conflict, it causes tension. Because when everyone is trying to get better, someone's always, because it's a subjective comparison, someone's always below and someone's always above. It's always a measuring competition. But with Jesus, he says, there is one standard, there is one definition. It simply means to become a slave. That's what leadership looks like for Jesus. That's what he's talking about. He's, he's building the core team for the church. And he says, I want you to do great things. And they're like, oh, we're gonna take on the world because that's what great things mean. And he says, no, 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 no. You're gonna become a slave. You know what the leadership qualities he's looking for is he's looking for somebody that is willing to become a servant, someone that's becoming a slave. And that is not easy for me and it's not easy for any of us. So what could he possibly mean? If that's the definition, then what could be the application of that? What would be greater 
Like if that's what great is, okay, if that's what great is, then what would be greater? Because it's a, it, it's a comparison word, right? How would we define that based on that definition? Well, I think there's two things you can see from this. This makes sense in my head. Maybe it will for you. It means to multiply the number of his works, okay? Multiply the number, okay? So Jesus is about to go do a singular thing. He's about to die on the cross. He's about to become a slave. He's about to become a servant to us. And so when he says, that's what great is, he says, I want more of that. I want that to happen more times. I want it to happen consistently. I want it to happen on repeat. I want you to be the type of people that will multiply the type of works that I do. And he, he says, you've seen these right in the passage. He embeds that in there. He says, you've seen this. What is he saying? He, well, you, you, you've seen healings. You've seen exorcisms. You've seen the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven on earth through Jesus. He was giving us glimpses. He was ushering it in. And so greater works means I want to see more than that. Jesus looks at you, if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, and he says, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see from you. I want to see more of that. But he says also greater can mean one more thing, an application, that it could be to expand the range of his works. Okay. Um, I, I tried to look this up this week, and there's no definitive thing on this, right? Uh, but um, I tried to look up, like, how far in a radius did Jesus ever physically go, okay? Where, where else did he go? We know that he went to Africa. He was in Egypt as a young, as a young boy. But let's just talk about his ministry, okay? Like, that we, the known ministry of Jesus. I think if you calculate it up, uh, probably the, the best guess is that the farthest he went was a radius of 100 miles from where he was born, okay? Think about how big the, the planet is. I mean, this little central point on this whole ball that revolves around this sun in a solar system that's made up of a galaxy that's in the universe full of billions of galaxies, within a 100-mile stretch, that's as far as Jesus ever got. What does that mean? That means that Jesus chose to limit his proximity by the physicality of becoming a human. He didn't have to do that. God's everywhere. God can be everywhere at any time. But he became geographically fixed, right? And so when, when Lazarus was in Bethany, a dear friend, and he wasn't there, Lazarus died. And the indictment from his friends and family to Jesus were, where were you? That's a geographic question. Jesus wasn't there. And could Jesus have said, Lazarus, I'm going to heal you from afar? Yeah, he'd done that before. But everywhere that Jesus went, he was geographically fixed. Think about all the people that we know that he healed. And he healed a lot more than that, we would assume. But guess as many people that were, were healed, how many poor people, more people were not healed? I mean, that's a thinking person's question. So what was Jesus concerned about? Was he just concerned about the woman at the well? Was he just concerned about uh, the widow that had just lost her child? Was he just concerned about this specific blind man? 
and not everybody else? These are real questions, right? But here's the thing that Jesus had on his mind. Jesus had on his mind, I'm gonna do something great. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna enter in to the story. I'm gonna take on flesh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the front lines and I'm gonna hit them where it hurts. And then what am I gonna do? I'm gonna multiply the number of that work. And I'm gonna expand the range of that work. Because guess where we are? We're in Arkansas. <laughs> you think Peter ever heard of Arkansas? No. I mean, uh, first of all, it wasn't even there yet, right? But like, they, they could never dream, could have never fathomed this place and where you are. But Jesus did. He thought about you. And he said, whoever believes in me can multiply the number of my works. Whoever believes in me can expand the range of my works. And so guess what God gave you? God gave you a house in the neighborhood. He gave you a job. He gave you relationships and activities. And he says, guess where you get to go? You get to go there and you get to multiply the number of my works right there. And guess what else you get to do? You get to expand the range of my works right there. This is what this is all about, if it's about anything, right? Because that's what he said. Remember, let's just go pop it back up there one more time. What did he say? Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will even do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So there's two things about this. Notice that word whoever. The word whoever. Here's the thing is that God's will for greater things is for whoever. It's for whoever. That means you might be waltzing in here, new year, you think people are going to look at you funny because they're like, well, where, where have they been? No. No, we don't do that. Because you can begin right where you are. Why? Because God's will is whoever. Some of the most powerful people in the kingdom of God in my life have been people you've never heard of. And chances are, that's the way it is for you too. They're not nationally known figures. They're not TV preachers. Um, nobody knows their name. They're not on social media, but guess what? Guess what? They're, they're whoever's and that's who you are. But not only is God's will whoever, God's will is whatever, whatever. Greater things are about whoever and it's about whatever. What do I mean? Well, watch what he says in 13 and 14. This is the last passage we're gonna look at primarily says that I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for, in, you may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Okay, all right, well, good. I got a wish list, right? I, I got, man, there's a lot of things. And, and there, I'm not saying you want a new car. I'm saying there's things that really matter to you that you're asking Jesus for and you're saying, God, I'm tagging you on the end of that prayer. I'm saying in the name of Jesus, amen. Like I did it, right? Formula. Scripture, <laughs> quote it. Is that what he's talking about? Well, this has been baffling to me for my whole life, right? Um, I go ebb and flow on this too. But can I just show you something real quick? That in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we'll go all back there because God was same yesterday, today, and forever, that there were some things that people could do in the name of Jesus, a name of God, uh, in the Old Testament. One, they could serve as a priest. Deuteronomy tells you that. The second thing, this is one reference, is they could prophesy. You couldn't prophesy 
unless you have the authority of God to speak the word of God. The third thing you're going to see in the Old Testament is you could pronounce a blessing on someone in the name of the Lord. Uh, you've got Samuel up there, right there, you know, 2 Samuel, <clears throat> David, where he blesses Samuel in the name of the Lord. You could fight a battle in the name of the Lord. There's a lot of cases for that. And the last thing you could do is you could swear an oath in the name of the Lord, okay? These are all places where you see this phrase pop up. And these are Old Testament. Well, the same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. So what are some references in the New Testament that show what you can do in the name of the Lord? Well, this is our few things. The first thing, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a little tickle in my throat. You could baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You could baptize in the name of the Lord, right? What else could you do? You could heal and exercise. There's cases in Acts and in Mark where the disciples are exercising demons and healing people in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, those type of things. And then the last thing is this, you could proclaim the word of God in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus. And this happens all the time through scripture. So when we talk about doing something in the name of the Lord, what are we actually talking about? We're talking about doing something out of the authority of God. Now, one of the passages that you probably have heard before, may even committed to memory, is typically called the Great Commission. And it's Matthew 28. And it says that when Jesus meets with the disciples post-resurrection, he says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has the authority but he also chooses to work through you. This is the beautiful thing about God. This is the beautiful thing about Jesus is Jesus is about sharing authority. He's about sharing his glory. There's some people out there that are all about, well, Jesus wants to soak up glory. You know, he's just all about, he just wants to, he just wants to soak up all the worship and all the glory. But guess what? Every time you see Jesus, guess what he's doing? He's sharing his glory with another. Why? Because he's a servant. Why? Because he's a slave. It's a completely different model. But he says, well, every time that you carry the words of God, the message of who I am, you are walking in my authority. Whenever you perform an act of service to someone, you are walking in my authority. You're walking in the name of Jesus. You're doing not just great things. You're doing greater things. You're expanding the range. You're multiplying the works. And this is what it's all about. And I think that's why Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, second half of that, he says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. That means that guess what God wants you to do in 2022? He wants you to do whatever. He wants you to do whatever in the name of of the Lord. This is how God multiplies his works on your job. This is how he does it in your family and my family. And it's all messy, right? It's all messy. But we're not talking about things getting better. We're talking about leveraging things for something greater. And I need this calibration all the time because from my subjective comparison, things are just not getting that much better. In, in many cases, they're getting worse. And you feel like sometimes you're selling something that, you know, have you ever like, I mean, have you ever gotten a product 
that you're like, well, I can't really sell that product because I don't believe in it. Have you ever, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're like, I don't know how they sell those things because I couldn't do that, right? And, and sometimes maybe as Christians, we feel that way because we want to say, hey man, God's great. God's going to miss you. He's be there. He's, you know, he's going to give you peace and all these things. And then oftentimes you walk away and you're going like, I don't feel that peaceful right now. And sometimes there's this tension in us. And I think for me, oftentimes it's because I have used the wrong comparison and the wrong definition. Because if you look through the storied history of the church, well, the reason we have the New Testament is because things weren't always going so well. And people had to write letters to say, hey, let's fix that. If you look through the storied history of God's people through the ages, through the cadence of creation, it hasn't been beautiful. And not because there's always been something where the church has been victimized, but oftentimes people have been victimized by the church. And this is the reality. It hasn't always gotten better, but it can be greater. It can be greater. God can leverage the dark for light. This is what he's in the business of doing. That's the crucifixion. That's Friday to Sunday, right? This is what we, this is what we do. This is what it's about. But here's the thing, if that's what the definition of greater is, and if God wants us to do that, and he wants us to begin to understand what it means to be located where he is and abide in his presence with his definition of greatness, I wanna give you just, this is the last thing I'm gonna share with you. I wanna give you just a list of a few things that's gonna take from you, all right? Some people would tell you that it doesn't matter what you do. That's not true, right? I mean, God's gonna do what he's gonna do, but you might not experience it personally. Why? Because you're not taking part in it, okay? What's it gonna take from you? It's gonna take a mindset. That's why Paul said in Philippians 2, have the same attitude of Jesus Christ. You can't do greater things the way he defines them if you don't have the same mindset of Jesus. And guess what? Paul said it best. He says, you're gonna have to renew that thing. (laughs) Your mind is going to have to be renewed if you're going to do greater things the way that Jesus defines it. So the question is gonna be for you, are you in God's word? regularly? Are you in community regularly? Are you ingesting? Are you in prayer and conversation with God regularly? And then how are you going to look at people? How are you going to see people? How are you going to look at them and how can you serve people? Can you have that mindset? No, you've got to change your mind. This is what growth is. We have to renew our minds so that we can test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, Romans chapter 12, one and two. But guess what he also wants from us? What he can also, this is what it's also gonna take, because you're like, okay, my mindset, it's gonna take your weakness. It's gonna take your weakness. Paul talks about this, 2 Corinthians, right? He talks about how he puts these treasures in jars of clay. Why? So that it's not who we are, it's who he is right? It's the message that we contain. It's the spirit of uh, the father that we carry around with us. It's the spirit of truth that we carry around us. And so guess what? God can use your weakness too. You don't have to be great. You can do greater things and not be great. Why? Because he's great. But you've got to offer God your weaknesses, your questions, your brokenness. Be honest with him and others about those things. Everybody sees it anyway, you know? Like, you just got to be honest with it. And you got to say, God, use this. Use my past. Use my failures now. When I confess to my family, my friends, let me just confess and embrace my weakness. God uses that. That's powerful. 
Guess what else you got to use? You got to use your gifts. You got to use your gifts. And this is hard to, right? For one, you're like, well, I don't know what what that is. That's a question. Can I use that here? That's a question. How do we embrace one another's gifts? That's a question. You know, this is what it means. God gave you a gift that's for, for, not for you, that's for me and somebody else and for God, for his kingdom. And if you just set on that gift, then eventually you're gonna come to the conclusion, right? I mean, you're gonna wrestle with this, that, okay, God, you're giving me this. I need to use it. And, and unfortunately, not everybody in the church has been able to use their gifts or at least they feel like they're welcome to. And we've got to look at this as a church. We've got to say, Lord, I, we need that person, we need that person, and we don't need them to fit into our box. We need them to use their gift because guess who gives gifts? God gives gifts. And when God gives gifts, that means that he is the one who chooses them and he says, this is where I've appointed you to use your gift. But guess what? All the people around the body have to say, God, we want your gift to be a part. And we all have to do this together as one because if we don't, guess what? No greater things, no greater things because we need each other. Guess what else you gotta give him? You've gotta give him your place. I mean, you got that. You're gonna get up and go to work. You're gonna go to school. You're gonna go home. You're gonna go places. All you gotta do is say, God, right here, whatever I do in word or deed, I wanna do it in the name and the authority of Jesus. And then ultimately, I'll say this, you're going to have to use your words. I think this is a message for Journey Church. We've got to get better at using our words in other people's lives. I mean, encouraging words. We've got to affirm and build people up. We've got to challenge one another. And we've got to share the gospel with people. Like, if we ask the question this year, like, why is the church not growing? Guess what? It might just be because we're not talking. It might just be that. It might just be that we're not talking. You got to take your words and use them. But guess what? Out of all this stuff that is what it's going to take for each one of us, ultimately, what's it going to take at the end of the day? It's going to take his power. This is not a country club. This is not uh, a civic organization. You know, you look around this room, like none of you are paid to be here. Like, you know, this, this is where you draw the line. This is, what is this about? And as you enter into a new year, and as I enter into a new year, we all have some kind of expectations. And some of us have couched our bets a little bit, hedged our bets a little bit on the future. But what if we refocused for a second and we didn't just look at making things better, but we asked God to show us what it means to be greater the way he defines it. And I think that if everybody was being greater by becoming a servant and a slave, guess how many people's needs get met? Everybody, because everyone's being served. And so I want you to jump in with us over the next few weeks and into this year as we enter into a new season, it's in this cadence of creation, as the sun comes up and the expectation pivots, not from a where question and not all the details, but to a who question, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and us. 
I want to ask if you would, if you would start this year with me by bowing your head and praying with me. And maybe there was something in this passage, maybe it wasn't even something I said, you were flipping through your Bible because God showed you something. That's cool. All right, that's awesome. Uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit can say things that I never even intended or studied. And he can prompt you. And so if, you're, if you sense that right now, that is the Holy Spirit drawing you into his presence. That's Jesus beginning to pivot your heart toward abiding in him. And so I'm going to ask you to do is just to, to receive that from, from God, whatever that is. Maybe something I said frustrated you. Would you just be honest with God about that too? I, I get that. Uh, I'm just a human too. So, I, I mean, I could have said something that, you know, rubbed you the wrong way or something like that. But maybe the Lord's going to enter into that tension too. And maybe you just realized something simple like, um, man, you've been committed to better, but you've never really seen what greatness was, the way Jesus defines it. And you say, I want to start this year. and I want to live from here forward differently, but I got a lot of learning to do. I got a lot of dying to do to myself. And so would you just tell the Lord that? There could be a number of things. But one of the big things could be that you have never received from Jesus the way he served you. He became a slave to die on a cross for you and you've never received him as your Lord and Savior. You've never followed him or acknowledged him in that. And I'm not asking if you've been to church before. I'm not asking if, if you, you came from a family that went to church or anything like that. I'm not even asking you to be a member here. I'm just saying, God, you know, have you ever looked at Jesus who did the greatest thing he became sin for you so that you could become the righteousness of God. And could you take him up on that promise? Because he said that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, there's whoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on his name right now. He has the authority to come in and breathe life into your mortal body to bring you back spiritually alive. And it could just be calling on his name right now. Just say, Jesus, save me. That's a great way to start. I'm gonna let you sit in that for just a second. Father, we... Uh, we come before you as broken, weak people, frail bodies, frail words, frail minds, broken by our own idolatry and our own sin. But you entered in and you served us the least of these. And you modeled for us what it was like to enter into people's stories like that woman at the well, like, like Lazarus, Mary and Martha. You entered into those lepers' story, to the demon-possessed that no one wanted to go close to and couldn't understand. You, you walked into some really, really dark places. But God, three days later, you overcame the darkness. You came back to life. You overcame sin. You overcame death. And because of that, you have the authority now to send us out to multiply your works and to expand the range of them, to not just be confined geographically, 
but we can spread out out of this building, out of the service today. We can, we can go across the world now. And so God, I, I pray that you would empower us through your power to use all those things, our mindset, our weakness, our gifts, Lord, our place, all those things. Lord, this year we offer that to you and we believe that you are the mountain mover. You're the alpha and the omega. You're the first and the last. You're the beginning and the end. We are in your story and we wanna enter into it with purpose and intentionality and expectation, God. Not just that things would get a little bit better this year, but God, that we would fully reckon with the reality that to become great means to become a slave. Weave that in as we learn to abide in you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen, amen. Let's stand to our feet. And let's sing around that truth just to send us as a charge uh, out as we go uh, that he is here to do greater things.